Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Hey guys, so today I am interviewing Shannon Biagi. Shannon is a behavior analyst and she specializes in organizational behavior management, OBM. This might be something that is brand new to you and I can't wait for you to learn about it because it looks at applying those strategies that we've talked so much about from applied behavior analysis to how we work with teams, to how we lead people, to how we set up systems and processes. And once you kind of drink the Kool-Aid of thinking about all of these things that we do on a regular basis through this ABA lens, I have to say it becomes a little bit addicting. But I think it can make a huge impact in how effectively you manage and work with your team. So Shannon is sharing so many great suggestions on how we can define staff behavior and how we can troubleshoot when we do see those challenges happening with our staff. She's also sharing a great checklist that's in the show notes that she's going to talk about how to use that I think will be really, really helpful. I've been looking forward to having someone on here to talk about OBM because 
because this applies so much to what we do. We talk about so much with using function-based strategies with our students, but we want to use those with our team as well. So let's jump right in. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me. So happy to be here. So I would love for you to jump in and tell everyone a little bit about what you do, but also about what OBM is, because that is going to be a new acronym in like the special ed soup world that we have so many acronyms for already. But um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah, we definitely needed another acronym thrown into the mix, but this is a really fun acronym. So uh, for those of you who don't know the acronym we're talking about, it is Organizational Behavior Management, OBM. And this is the science of human behavior applied at work. So just in the same way, if if you're all aware of what a behavior analysis is, um, we look at environmental variables instead of kind of those internal states to really focus on employee performance. So rather than working with uh, an individual with a disability or uh, in any kind of clinical or school-related context, um, we're working in businesses. So a lot of what I do focuses on leadership behavior because uh, leaders really have the most control over the environment in which you know employees are operating and which staff are operating. Um, and that leaders could be a supervisor, they could be a teacher in a classroom, they could be a number of different folks within your within your organization. Uh, so atten- essentially, I'm spending time coaching leaders on how to put themselves in someone else's shoes to figure out what factors are encouraging or discouraging what we're hoping to see our, our staff and employees do. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's basically like a behavior plan for a business. It is exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> so what type what types of businesses do you work with? So I've worked in a number of different types of organizations. Uh, lately, I've been primarily focusing on human services. So uh, clinics, usually ABA clinics, because they really speak the language that we, we speak the exact same language. So when I talk about consequences or antecedents, it clicks immediately uh, what I'm talking about. Um, but I also have worked in uh, uh, pharmaceuticals over in Switzerland. Uh, I've worked with a, a psychological um, facilities in Australia. I've worked with large-scale architecture firms, things like that. So um, we can be found, uh, OBM in general, not myself, um, but OBM in general, um, there's a lot of folks working in uh, like the auto industry. We're found in like training and development departments and human resource departments. Um, so anywhere that things are going smoothly, I would take a look and see if they might have a, an OBM practitioner on staff because that's usually a good sign. So what types of things when you you know work with a business are you kind of overall looking for? Like you mentioned leadership skills. What other, and within even that, or what other kind of processes are you looking at from that OBM perspective? Yeah, so OBM is a really broad area of practice. And one of the most popular areas is uh, behavioral systems analysis. So I always refer to this particular area of practice as zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. So often we get caught up looking at an individual person's behavior And we look at the antecedents and we look at the consequences, the things that come before and after, but we really have to zoom out. And when you zoom out like one click, now you have a process. So you've got a process with multiple steps and each of those steps has a different behavior or set of behaviors that all have their own antecedents and consequences. And then we zoom out again. And now we've got different departments with their different processes and all of those linked together with different behaviors. And we continue to zoom out, zoom out until we see the organization almost as 
a, a being responding to an environment in which governmental regulations start to come in and legislation, and you've got input from, say, colleges for your, for your uh, employee pool, and you've got outputs and customer uh, feedback coming back into the organization. So we can zoom all the way out or all the way in to see what's going on within the organization and figure out where things might not be going as smoothly as they possibly could. And it could be at any of those uh, three particular levels. Interesting. And then once you kind of identify these areas and, and looking at what things aren't going smoothly, how do you then approach kind of change at that point? Right. So it's going to depend on which level. So primarily, um, I tend to focus down at the job level. So I do focus a lot on that individual performer level. And uh, the first thing we have to do really at all the levels is define what are we looking for? So we have to figure out in observable and measurable terms what's happening, what's going on, what are we experiencing. So we we might have um, employees who aren't turning in paperwork time or they're not uh, attending the meetings that they should be or they're just not showing up to work. So those are pretty simple behaviors. And we have to define um, what are we actually looking for with these behaviors. Uh, when we start to think about some more complex behaviors or what we might call a behavior class, um, that's where things can get fuzzy. So you mentioned uh, leadership behaviors. So what is leadership? What are we looking for? What can we observe and measure? Um, and that's where things start to get really interesting when, when you're an OBM practitioner, because we have to figure out um, all these things have different definitions depending on who you're talking to within an organization, which makes it really difficult to provide any kind of objective feedback because everybody's seeing it in a different way. Yeah. So I'll always ask the leaders within an organization, um, let's say we're focusing on engagement. So I've got a blog where I talk about engagement and how we need to stop talking about it because we have to ask, what does it look like when someone is engaged, air quotes, engaged in our organization? And then would all of your staff members agree to that definition? And the answer is probably not. So yeah. <laughs> we actually need to talk to our people and say, okay, what does engagement look like? for our organization or our classroom in particular. Uh, and then we can actually start to intervene and get more clear and get everybody on the same page as to as to what we're looking for when we talk about these uh, kind of, I, I refer to them as umbrella terms, uh, like yeah. respect, engagement, leadership. They're umbrella terms for discrete behaviors. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately! Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. We're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. And it's easy when you kind of have those ambiguous large terms to kind of just feel like, well, I'm done because they're not engaged. So it's over. There's nothing I can do about that. Versus if you define what that looks like and look at all the contingencies it plays, suddenly there are some kind of action steps you could take. Exactly. So we remove a lot of that uncertainty, a lot of that, I I kind of refer to it as helplessness. We've got a helplessness around this engagement problem. But when you break it down to what we're actually looking for, so uh, my employee is not engaged. Uh, Well, what what do you see when that employee isn't engaged? Oh, well, they're off on their cell phone in the corner of the classroom and not engaging with students. Okay, now I've got something where I can pinpoint that is happening right now. Now I can come up with interventions and measure how often are they over in the corner texting on their cell phones? Could we potentially response block? Could we add some other kind of uh, intervention? But when you're looking at just engagement as a broad term, uh, you, I even become very helpless where I'm just like, I don't know what to do about this because I can't, I can't wrap my hands around it until yeah. we describe what it is. I hear things like that a lot, you know, sometimes from teachers, well, this staff member doesn't care or they just don't work that hard. I hear that. They just don't work that hard. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, okay, well, what, what does that mean? We got to dig a little deeper because I don't know what work that hard, quote unquote, means or doesn't mean. You got it. And uh, there's a really nice quote from uh, Dr. Linda LeBlanc, who's a pretty prominent behavior analyst, that she said during uh, a FABA, and that was uh, the quickest way to turn a behavior analyst into a mentalist is to ask them about their staff's behavior. So <laughs> we would never use these terms around the the students that we work with or the the children that we work with. But we'll pull those, we'll pull the lazy card out on an employee so fast. And we would never do that to a student. So I encourage people, keep your behavior analyst hat on uh, yes. when, you're, when you're talking about employee behavior. That I like you're preaching the choir right now. And I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm really passionate about staff training because I, I think back to myself. I was a classroom teacher for 10 years with paraprofessionals in my classroom. And my I look back at like first year teacher Sasha, and I just had honestly no idea that managing adults was part of my job. <laughs> like it wasn't, it's just not talked about in like undergrad programs or anything. You know, I have my special ed degree, I'm going into my classroom and I suddenly have two adults that are twice my age with, you know, way more experience than I do. And I'm mm-hmm. supposed to tell them what to do. And I'm like, Oh, come again. Like <laughs> I, you know, I've told this story before one of my paras who I had a, a very, uh, you know, a lot of some conflict with that year. I remember like two weeks into school said to me, like, I want to sit down and talk about your behavior management, you know, strategies and theory and principles. And I was like, cool. When I figure that out, I'll, I'll be first to let you know. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm 22. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but you know, it is kind of that shift in mindset that I have to approach 
working with my team with that same rigor and thoroughness and kind of function-based mindset that we do with our kids. And like just overcoming that mindset, I think sometimes is the first hurdle. Right. And I think, you know, as a field, uh, talking more generally about behavior analysis, we've put up these walls between the different areas. And the beautiful thing about OBM is no matter where you're applying these the the concepts of human behavior, OBM is there because nobody is working in a vacuum without any other contact with any other human. Yes. <laughs> so you can use these with your paraprofessionals. You can use them in clinics with your staff. You can use them on the leaders within your organization. You can use it with parents. Um, you're you're never not using OBM. And one of the my supervisees constantly write down like weird quotes that I say, and one of them is. Um, it's not whether you're choosing to do organizational behavior management. You don't get that choice. Um, you're choosing whether you're going to do it well and get the education and training behind it. Um, or if you're just going to kind of mess with contingencies kind of all willy nilly and, and not really understand how all of these systems and processes and the contingencies for your staff interconnect with one another. Oh, I love that. That is such a good point. I mean, it applies to, to everything we do. So mm -hmm. To, to a classroom teacher that's listening and that is like, oh my gosh, light bulb, this makes sense. Where, where does this teacher start? Let's say you have, you know, two, two paraprofessionals, three paraprofessionals in your classroom. We've kind of mentioned this idea of, you know, not just defining something as this vague umbrella term. Would that be a good place to start to, you know, define what you do want to see with your staff or what problems you are seeing? Yeah, so I typically start with the definition of what we want. So what are we looking for? What are we wanting them to do? And then alternatively, I will define what we're seeing instead. So just like we, we think about, you know, function-based communication and we think about those things, we, we know what we want them to do, but they're doing this other thing. So then we figure out kind of the balance of what is in the environment that is supporting the things that we don't want to see. So let's say playing around on their cell phone versus mm -hmm. engaging with a student. So what's in the environment that's supporting it? What's happening afterward that encourages it to continue? And then what are we seeing that's maybe discouraging what we want to see? So maybe the student is really, you know, difficult to work with. Um, so they're more likely to gravitate towards hanging out on their cell phone than they are actually engaging with the, with the student at, at hand. Uh, so we really have to kind of break down, like, what, what are the encouragers, discouragers? So uh, the reinforcers and the consequences, and then start making changes. Um, and there are tools out there that can, can help you pinpoint um, where to start. So I tend to default to a, a tool that's available called the performance diagnostic checklist. So if I've got, you know, an individual who's uh, not do not engaging in a behavior that I'm, I'm hoping that they'll engagement, I'll pull out this tool called the performance diagnostic checklist. And it basically asks a series of questions that are that are function based. So this is considered a functional assessment for staff. Cool. Is that something that's like that's free to download? I'm actually not familiar with that. Is that or is that in some where you can purchase? Uh, it is not something that you can purchase. It is available uh, for free. Um, it's been cited in a number of textbooks. It's one of the most researched OBM functional tools that that is available. Um, and I'm happy to send that along if you'd like to provide that yeah. somewhere. For, yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put that in the sure. show notes. That sounds like way up everyone's alley. <laughs> yeah, and it'll it just gives you a series of questions that helps you pinpoint um, which category of the the environment is the issue falling in. So 
the, the kind of four categories that we work with on the performance diagnostic checklist are antecedents. So that's going to be things like job aids. Do they know the expectations? Um, then we have knowledge and skills. So that's training. So if you haven't trained somebody to do something, you can't really expect them to just do it. Um, even if you're positive, even if it's the most basic skill you have ever heard of, I refuse to intervene on anything that hasn't had at least a five-minute training. Yes, um, yes, yes. One million times, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we also don't want to fall into, so what I typically will see in an organization, um, and in regular organizations out like Fortune 500 type companies, is that they default to training as, well, if somebody's not doing their job appropriately, it's always training. They just need mm-hmm. to be retrained. And what ends up happening is training gets paired as a punisher. So if mm. I'm not doing my, and training should be seen as something positive where you're trying to build up somebody's skills and not to mention most of the time, it's not going to resolve the problem. If they've ever engaged in the behavior before, training is not the issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, they know how to do it. They're just, there's something else going on. Right. And sometimes uh, both in clinical ABA and uh, OBM, we'll call it a can't do or a won't do. They can do it. They just won't. Yes. I have talked about that before on the podcast. <laughs> Everyone listening should know what that is. Isn't that <laughs> Even that just simple idea, I think, is such a mindset shift too, to just approach you know, student behavior, staff behavior, whatever. Is it a can't do or won't do? Is it mm-hmm. is it skill deficit or motivation? I always The analogy I always use with can't do or won't do is my running behavior because I am not a runner. I don't mm-hmm. like running. If someone told me to run a mile, I could do it. I just don't want to. <laughs> right. If someone said, run a mile and I'll give you 50 bucks, I'd be like, okay, I, I, might, I might run a mile. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that that's just what I warn people with around training is training is only going to work if it's a can't do problem. If it's a won't do problem, training is extremely expensive and time consuming. You might want to look at some other function functional issues. So we talked about the antecedents. We talked about knowledge and skills. Uh, another one of the four categories is equipment and processes. So if the equipment doesn't work, you can do all the training in the world. They're still not going to be able to do what you're asking them to do. Um, If the response effort to get the equipment needed is too high, they're still not going to do what you need them to do. Um, So a lot of things tend to not fall into the equipment category. It might be more processes um, where they're relying on other people within a chain of behaviors and they can't move forward unless somebody has, you know, done another step within a process or they're stuck in some kind of loop where um, the the process just isn't flowing or isn't documented in a way that's clear. So yeah, that's around. I see that process. issue a lot, a lot with with data collection with teams. Mm-hmm. That you know, a, a teacher is frustrated that a staff is not you know collecting data, but maybe the data binder isn't near where they are with the students, or the data system's not set up in a way that's easy to take, or you know, it's just that response effort to to find the data sheet might be too much because the child is engaging in other behaviors. So it's mm-hmm. just, you know, looking at those types of things with something like data collection, I see that as a struggle a lot. Right. And I remember, so I was a clinician before I ever got into the OBM side of things. And it probably inspired a bit of the OBM work that I do because being frustrated as an employee, but when you've got a three inch, so a lot of clinics in particular have like these three inch thick binders where you've just got this whole stack of papers and you're expecting your your technicians or the paraprofessionals you're working with to carry around this <laughs> 25 pound thing just to collect their data. And we would end up taking it on scraps of paper. Um, yeah. And then if you lose the scrap of paper, you've lost data and it, it just becomes really inconvenient. So it is important to step back um, with 
uh, a lot of folks are shifting to electronic data collection, um, a lot of those systems have technical flaws where you're going to be blaming your staff for losing elements of data or not submitting things in a timely manner when the electronic data collection system isn't working appropriately or they don't have Wi-Fi, so they can't submit things when it's convenient for them. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So it is important to step back and be like, okay, let's look at the process and the equipment needed before we start to point fingers at the employee. Yeah. Do you recommend, you know, ask at, at that stage, if you kind of identify that as a potential, you know, area of need or cause like discussing with the employee or the paraprofessional or staff member, you know, what is working and what isn't? Because sometimes that's subjective for each person. Well, and I left off a critical component of how you use this tool. It is an informant-based assessment. So you're actually not filling in the answers to these questions yourself. You're interviewing the staff member who's having the problem and saying, hey, are the expectations clear? Can you tell me what the expectations are for whatever this is? Um, Can you tell me where the equipment is? And is everything running well when it comes to the equipment? So you as a leader are not the one filling in the answers. You're actually talking to the performer because you're exactly right. Each person, just like students, might be experiencing something a little bit different that is posing a barrier to them doing what they need to do. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. Yeah, because I was going to, you know, sometimes what I think is going to be doable to someone else might not be. So Mm -hmm. um, I love that that's not an observation tool because, you know, that and that also might make, I think, staff members feel uncomfortable. So the fact that they're being included in the discussion you know, right there is to me building rapport and buy-in. Exactly. We call it participative management. We have to include the, we call them, uh, so I wrote a a book a few years ago with some colleagues and we always called them the doers, the people who need to be doing the thing. You need to involve them. You need to get their buy-in. So whenever, so uh, another thing that I do often is establish performance management systems and I will not step in and hold anybody accountable for something that I haven't had a conversation with them about. So I will not set an expectation around a behavior unless I've pre-troubleshooted, pre-troubleshooted, troubleshot, um, <laughs> whatever we're expecting them to do. 
So that, that is absolutely critical and you have to get them involved early and often. And I think sometimes, and this is like pretty mentalistic too, but you know, we feel like weird about that as like a leader. You're like, but I have to know all the things and I should be the one to tell everyone what to do. But that's actually counterintuitive. People don't really want to be on a team that's run like that. Well, and I hope that when you put somebody in a position and they do their job really well, that they know more about that job eventually than you do because True. they're the one who's doing it. They they should be the expert on that position and on what's expected of them. And they're going to know better the day-to-day struggles and barriers that they're facing than the person who is observing and supervising, 100%. That is such a good point. And the last of the four, so we talked about the antecedents, we talked about knowledge and skills, we talked about equipment and processes. The last one is consequences. So what consequences are in place for when they when they complete the the behavior that we're looking for. So when they are engaging with students, does good stuff happen? Does you know neutral stuff happen? Does anything happen? And usually that's what I get the most of when I when I talk to to leaders within organizations. I ask, okay, if they do this thing that you're asking them to do, what happens? Uh, nothing. Nothing. They should. My my favorite <laughs> quote is, they should just do their jobs because that's yeah. their jobs. I'm like, we don't. <laughs> say that to students. We don't say we, you, you are a student. This is what you do because we told you to do it. So it's really important that good things happen, even if it's just an acknowledgement, you know, that, Hey, I saw that you turned in that form. Thank you. Yeah. And it can be intermittent. It doesn't have to be every time. And people see this as kind of coddling our employees. However, if you want a positive work environment, good stuff has to happen all the time for you to have that rapport. And that's what allows you to eventually give constructive feedback to people is because you built up all these positive things and people know that you're concerned about me as a human, as a being with my own dreams and motivations, that when you're providing me something that I need to improve on, there's no underlying negative motive. And I know that probably sounds a little uh, mentalistic as well, but that's how we have to think about the rapport that we build with staff, just like we build it with students. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think, especially being in classrooms and being in clinics as as well, it can be a thankless job and it's, and it's a hard job often. So, you know, receiving that note of appreciation or that quick thank you, it might feel like, oh, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. But I always like kind of flip it to teachers too. Like when was last time your principal told you, thank you for getting your lesson plans in, or, you know, uh, thanks for, you know, great, great, great work today. Or, you know, love how your class is walking in the hall. Great job. Like you remember those moments mm-hmm. and kind of the reverse is going to happen for your team as well. Like you don't want to be the leader that isn't thanking their team enough. You want to be the, the leader that's thanking their team too much, which I don't even think you can do. Right. And it, it all comes down to practice and fluency for that leader too. Cause uh, a lot of the leaders that I work with are from, and I hate to say it, a different generation where that wasn't something that happened on a regular basis. However, if it had been happening, you they would have appreciated it and they would have felt like they were making a difference. And it, does, it doesn't always just have to be like a pat on the back. And I do a lot of work in uh, non-monetary reinforcers. So there's things that you can do as simple as, you know, grabbing a book off your bookshelf and say, hey, I saw what you just did there. Uh, I have a reading that I think you'd really enjoy. And um, if you dig into the nonprofit literature, there's a lot of work out there on non-monetary reinforcers because why do people continue to volunteer for nonprofits? They're not being paid. So yeah, when true. when people think consequences, they always jump to money. 
usually. It's like, oh, well, am I going to give them a bonus every time they turn their paperwork in on time? And it's like, no, there's there's other things that you can do. So that's that's one of my favorite topics is the the non-monetary reinforcers and getting creative with that. Yeah, it's fun to think about it creatively because I always, you know, think also people are working in schools and with kids for a reason. Like something mm-hmm. in that is rewarding and reinforcing or else they would be a barista and have mm-hmm. their job be way easier, you know? Like, so, so tapping into like, why is this person working in this helping profession and how can we kind of tap into that too? Because I always love seeing when staff get really into, you know, get into taking data and get into those like little, those baby steps and those quick wins that we get with kids and like, oh my gosh, like we got nine out of 10 today. Or like, it's, it's fun <laughs> to see that catch on. Cause you're like, yes, like this is why you're here mm-hmm. in this field. Right. And that can even be reinforcing. So if, if you're a teacher and you look over some students data and see, you know, the, that they're making such progress, grab your paraprofessional and be like, Hey, I want you to see this. Look how cool this is. Look at these data and how great these are. And you played a huge role in this. And that can mean everything to that staff member and keep them wanting to come back rather than, you know, these contingencies that we have in a lot of organizations are, I'm coming here, so I get paid, which really isn't a, it's not a positive reinforcer. They're actually coming to work to avoid losing their quality of life. They're avoiding not being able to pay a bill, Mm -hmm. not that they actually want to be there. So we have to build in those things that make them want to keep coming back and engaging. And yeah, it's, it's a fantastic area of practice. I love what I do. When you talked about that, I, you know, when you ask staff, you know, leaders and staff members like, Hey, what happens when people do their job? They're like, well, nothing. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what I thought of the data collection piece. You know, what happens when staff do take data? And they're like, I I don't know. They take data. It's like, well, do you show them the data? Do you Mm. talk about the data? Do they see you looking at the data they took? Like if they, if they feel there's no point in doing it, they're going to stop doing it because nothing's happening. Yeah. If it just gets filed away and put in a box somewhere and nobody ever talks about it again, you literally have no consequence for having engaged in that behavior, which is quite effortful when you're handling a student to continue to collect those data. But in reality, that data is everything. It is everything that we do. So I, I talk about this a lot with uh, human service organizations is your paraprofessionals, your your technicians, your RBTs, um, without them motivated to do the work, you your behavior plan is just an expensive stack of paper. Yeah. And you've got no data and you've got no implementation and no one's following through. So you can write the most beautiful plan and it can be taken down by staff members who aren't necessarily motivated. And it's your job to figure that out. And, you know, this is kind of going off in a different direction, but as you were mentioning that, like, you know, the behavior plan, it doesn't matter if no one's implementing it, thinking as teachers, how many other clinicians you have to collaborate, especially collaborate with, especially in a school, I'm, you know, now my wheels are turning. Obviously, all Mm -hmm. these strategies can be applied to the teams you work with, you know, SLPs and OTs and case managers, because if everyone's not on board, it doesn't really matter how great your behavior plan is. Right. And you might not be able to provide them like tangible reinforcers or anything like this when you're working with those external professionals. But a tip that I can give you is listen to what they talk about. Listen to what's important to them and start speaking as if as if you're speaking their language and what's reinforcing to them and what motivates them. And that ends up being more reinforcing than if you just go in and talk about the things that, that you find important. 
That is a great tip. I think that, yeah, that's awesome. Well, oh my gosh, Shannon, I could like keep talking on this, but I don't want to take too much of your time. Can you tell people, so people that have really, this has piqued their interest, where can they go to learn more about you and to learn more about OBM, especially kind of as a beginner here? All right. So I have a Facebook page. Uh, My company is called Chief Motivating Officers. So you can find us on Facebook. I have a website, www.chiefmotivatingofficers.com. I've got all kinds of resources on there. I've got a blog and uh, yeah, I I just love to share the the science of human behavior applied at work. So if you follow me and check me out, uh, I'm more than happy to chat about any to anybody about this stuff. It is (laughs) it is a huge passion for me. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm sure we will be getting lots of follow-up questions for you. <laughs> yes, definitely collect those questions. I'm more yeah. than happy to, to have another conversation. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much, Shannon. You're very welcome, Sasha. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I want to bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Welcome. 
Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis, The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. We're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.